welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. So it's great to have you here for this conversation with Dara McCashin. Darren is an assistant professor in the School of Psychology at Dublin City University in Ireland. I, I wanted to talk to Dara because of his work in the European Union Remo Cost Action, Remo standing for Research and Mental Health Observatory, and the Cost Action being a funded network initiative from the EU. And in particular, because he gave this hugely oversubscribed webinar on, on imposter phenomenon. As we ended up having quite a long conversation, I decided to split it into two parts. So in part one here, he reflects on his experiences doing an interdisciplinary PhD in digital mental health, and he talks about the value of interdisciplinary thinking. He also shares his experiences starting his very first lecturer position at a brand new university right in the middle of covid and the experiences that that entailed. He also talks about what he loves in his new position and also what he finds challenging. And this is where we also start to touch upon the theme of the imposter, a theme that Dara picks up on and continues with in much more detail in part two. In the meantime, enjoy getting to know Dara and all of the insights and gems that he shares from his journey so far. Welcome, Dara. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Geraldine. We go back having been part of a Marie Curie ITN together that was around youth and mental health and technology. And, and what you've gone on to do since is some of the trigger for why I wanted to have a chat with you as, as well, because you're part of a cost network on research and mental health and you also gave a webinar in July wasn't it that was really really heavily subscribed to so you know we know that there's a big issue a big need out there so I wanted to talk to you about all that but before we get there do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit where you come sure. from whatever what you do Sure. So I'm sitting in Dublin, Ireland, uh, where I'm from. I originally was a sociology student um, and kind of saw the light or thought I saw the light by finding psychology. I uh, had great ambitions to be a counselling psychologist and then just had an epiphany halfway through that journey and realised I didn't and I wanted to travel. So <laughs> long story short, I... I, um, I travelled for a bit and then I came back to do uh, applied criminal forensic psychology um, and I worked in academia as a kind of a, a lecturer research assistant before uh, deliberating over whether I do a PhD and the that dilemma of, of funding kind of uh, and, and where I was in life all kind of led me back to Ireland um, mm. to do that Marie Curie um, project that you mentioned so that was team so that was all digital use digital mental health um, so that kind of theme throughout my research was always the good and bad of 
how technology impacts our our human psychology, basically. I'm an assistant professor in Dublin City University, so I've mm-hmm. r- remained in academia um, uh, with similar themes and also some new interests as well. Yeah. So the Dublin City University, that's in a psychology department? Yes, the S- School of Psychology. So quite a, a new school um, compared to some of the other Irish universities. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, it's, there's a real hunger for, for psychology amongst students and prospective students, and it, it's, it's great to see that endure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are two things I'd love just to pick up on there. So the first one is you came from a psychology to, you know, background, you know, having had started off with the little side tour into sociology, and you ended up in looking at issues around psychology and to do with technology. So would you call yourself a multidisciplinary or an interdisciplinary person like how do you see your relationship because the phd was located within a within an informatics computer science faculty wasn't it school uh well it was i suppose the greatest value well sorry to take your first part of the question that first part of the question in my thinking 100 percent interdisciplinary and when i can of the cognitive capacity multidisciplinary but then in practice as we know it it's so hard methodologically logistically to to manifest that interdisciplinarity um but the, the greatest value of our Marie Curie project was in the fact that we had a team of supervisors and co co-supervisors um so I, my my primary association was uh in the school of psychology in university college Dublin UCD but I was co-supervised by um David Coyle, who's a um, human-computer interaction, computer scientist expert, um, and that overlap, as 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 it so wonderfully <laughs> uh, took place at our many summer schools, really was the uh, a really helpful fusion of thinking in terms of how technology interacts with human psychology and how the different disciplines, rightly or wrongly, try and answer the big questions about. How do we make therapy work online, mm. for example? Um, so yeah, I still keep that thinking at heart. Um, mm. and I think as, as university programs evolve, I'm thinking in, in, in my current position, we have a new BA in psychology and disruptive technologies. Interesting. Um, the realization from both an academic and an industry standpoint, you know, one school of thought isn't really going to cut it. Mm. And um, the, the the buzzword now, the departure from soft skills in, in that you know the negative connotations that come with soft, um, have evolved to transversal skills. So, can we give students kind of industry facing, critical thinking skills, digital literacy, uh, collaborative skills, all these things that can be vague and broad when when they're not kind of teased apart and and, mm. and kind of attached to actual interdisciplinary projects. But um, we're kind of working towards a more systematic way of, of doing that. So that's where that interdisciplinary thinking, mm. I, I go straight back to it. And I've often harked back to whether it was design thinking or, or hackathons that, uh, that, that we, that, had that in that the we did. Project. Yeah. yeah. And going back to those resources and, and, and thinking about, well, actually, when you think of user experience, uh, the, the world of HCI and psychology, they, they should be bedfellows, but they're not, uh, or they are in, in, at, at a surface level. 
Um, so I'm always, I'm continually fascinated by that. Mm, yeah. So I hear you saying, if I, if I play it back correctly, that the, you know, you definitely draw from multiple disciplines because you, but it, it's more about how it informs your thinking. And you talked about manifesting and is the manifesting then more in, I don't know, the tick boxes you have to, you know, tick in terms of publications or profile building or, you know, uh, some of the institutional structures that we're located in? Like, what does manifesting mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it would also, I'm, I'm actually thinking that even, even in, in study design, so I, I, I have a real love and value for all things qualitative. As a psychologist? Yeah, so I have plenty of friends and enemies. <laughs> <laughs> But even yeah, so so a well a well done qualitative study, for example, one that's nested within a very fancy randomized control trial, really can tell us a lot about mm. about context. But when when I say trying to manifest interdisciplinary thinking, what that often means is a very well thought out, um, for example, inter- interview or guide for 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 a qualitative study, or thinking about. Um, the broadness of the research questions and or how you might apply it. Um, one example that comes to mind, we did a project with uh, an NGO in Ireland, Age Action Ireland. And they were really curious about older Irish men um, living in rural localities, 65 plus, um, and why they were or were not engaging with technology. This is just after the pandemic. Uh, and they wanted a qualitative study. So straight away, I was going, I was, I was thinking psychologically in terms of, okay, data literacy, uh, personality styles, uh, all the usual big psychological variables. But then I was also thinking, you know, human centered design that, you know, putting the, and I, I know there's a user is, is often a, not a great word either, but you're mm. thinking, okay, let guide here. Uh, so how do you take, um, how do you try and get them negotiating all these psychological variables, but also kind of keeping their voice at the heart of the research process? So that type of qualitative design, uh, in the end, three focus groups across, uh, um, uh, three different rural localities. I like to think borrowed from, from both styles of, mm. of, of of those of, of those study designs but it's it's not an easy task either i suppose mm. did you have have a hard sell to i don't know the people who commissioned the work or um... no because I, I think to be fair to them they and they were funded by movember which i think are an australian uh campaign um so movember movember yeah which i i should just quite uh characterize as a an initiative in Australia uh, that plays with the month name of November to call it Movember, and it's in it's trying to highlight men's mental health issues and men grow their moustaches, their mo's uh, for the month of November and get sponsorship and collect money. Yeah, mm. I've never been able to do it, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the ones that I've seen, they shouldn't have oh. been they shouldn't have been doing it either. Yeah, controversial handlebars. <laughs> mm. But I think a lot of their advice was 
taking that user-centered design approach of forget all your misconceptions, just get a bunch of people together that mm. constitute your target population um, and see what they say. So I, I think the mission was to maybe design some sort of either platform or 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 education program for older men in, mm. in, in rural areas. But the starting point of that was a qualitative exercise, which is where I came in. Um, and it, it's always great when, when you hear different stakeholders say, we are completely open to the fact that the outcome here might be thanks, but no thanks, uh, which is another sobering but really important aspect of that journey too. Indeed, indeed. Any key findings that you can share? Adam, yeah, so the, the, the report was launched – Report was launched June or July, excuse me. Um, is available online, and I mean, I suppose one of them was the paradox of support. Um, the other one was, I suppose, the complex emotional processes of uh, mm. involved with with these older adults, um, and the third was the kind of transitional um, theme of. A digital society. So even just take the first one there, where there is an appetite for whether it's where there's using Zoom for social contact during a pandemic. Depending on where where that they will need support being set up, or when there's a password issue, or getting back on the horse. Um, but the boundaries as to where that then becomes a dependency, uh, or where, where all of a sudden the, the, the pleasurable support that they receive from a family member over a period of time then turns into a slight dependency or, uh, or, um, an annoyance to mm-hmm. either party, um, then renders that objectively clear support resource as a negative thing. Um, so trying to negotiate that by way of uh, designing tech- technology systems or by way of designing peer-to-peer mentoring programs is, is really challenging because mm-hmm. um, you can't have one without the other, I suppose. So that theme was fascinating. Yeah, sounds great. I'll, I'll, I'll get a link from you to put on sure. the web page to that report because I'm sure people will be interested. So you did your PhD and then you moved from one university in Dublin to another to this um, lecturer position. Can you reflect a little bit on that that journey of, you know, putting on your new hat as a lecturer? And, yeah. yeah. So it was within our, our Zoom-dominated world of 2020. Oh, um, 2020, yeah. So I would have handed it or officially finished PhD kind of like the end of August 2020 and was more or less taking up that position early September 2020. So it was very, I was very fortunate to and excited um, for that. But like anything, it was all on Zoom. So it almost didn't feel real. Mm. Um, And I remember the day when I saw all the students in my Zoom waiting room and that moment of clicking in, you know, let everyone in. And that moment of, okay, this is a deep breath. No, this is it. Sink or swim. And then here we are. Um, 
And then the year after, so I was probably only on campus maybe a handful of times mm. that year. And then the following academic year when I, so I initially I was on a short-term contract and I'm currently on a, I'm really excited to be on a three-year contract. Um, It was almost like starting another job again when actually going on campus and, and mm. it being, and it feeling yeah. more real. So uh, yeah, it was, and I, to be, it was actually give me a, I like to think it gave me a, um, a more empathy f- with the student position. Mm. And I was kind of going from, albeit a, a, a PhD position straight into, by way of Zoom, uh, an academic position. Mm. Um, it kind of gave me some insight into how hard it must be for different student groups trying to, trying to use Zoom for, for high, high, High achieving academic goals and and all of that. So, mm. and how about um, getting into the faculty and getting to know colleagues and I don't know the processes and how you apply for holidays and all of those other things, you know, around mm. the teaching. Yeah, and it, I think the main issue with all of those crucial learnings is they all blend into one Zoom haze. Um, I met someone who, I, I can't remember the phrase he used, but he said, listen, I just forgot everything. I did so much because I could because, because of the productivity that came for some people with extra hours or, or no commuting or, or, or whatever, uh, but I've forgotten it all. Um, and that was the challenge. So I have a fantastic, we have a, a relatively small team comparatively, um, but we instituted different systems like one-on-one coffee meetings informal um making sure that everyone did that and um all all the things that we were all doing to keep ourselves sane Mm. we were doing that um but yeah I, i think certainly that thing of okay what do those 10 acronyms stand for that you're telling me are really really important and how do i learn them or how do i learn that maybe the the norms or the unwritten rules or the and the usual how how do we cultivate even a bit of warmth with someone in a different department mm-hmm. um all that was challenging but we i i made a point of doing bits so signing up to the thing or or and, and that was it i suppose that was the other obvious advantage that you could kind of join all of these zoom calls and conferences and um there was a nice kind of maybe non-hierarchical feel to that. Um, so, yeah, I just made a point has, of signing up. So taking, that's, you're talking about taking some responsibility for yourself to make stuff happen or to put yourself out there a bit. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Because I, I guess one of the dynamics with any new job or any new position is you are trying to get a feel for the environment, you are trying to... Um, it can sound like a, a too scrutinizing a phrase, but you know, prove yourself. But you are, I, I guess, or you're trying to at least say, "Here's me," and mm. you know, "Who are you?" And you're, you're trying to get some sense of, um, suppose just presence, you know, mm. yeah. within the, the crazy environment that can be any school of psychology. Mm. Um, so, so that was. That, that that was definitely hard, but I I I I just made a point of saying, well, everyone has the equipment. 
wherever they're at. Now, it might be easier for someone who's, um, and I think some of the research is saying that, yeah, where we have the in-person orientation and then we have the the, the follow-up stuff uh, held virtually, mm-hmm. th- th- those hybrid options really are quite nice. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that we were just mentioning before we pressed record, wasn't it, about, you know, the, the ongoing learning about when and how we fit together what what's best done in person and what's what where hybrid can help or support mm-hmm. yeah ongoing learning what do you love most about your job what have you learned you know what do you realize you love most it's a good question i think the oh it's probably the flexibility uh most things with any question like that, like, or even in, in, in interviews, my strengths double up as my weaknesses or mm. things I love double up as the things mm. I can yeah. grow to dislike a bit more. But the flexibility and being able to say, okay, I can set my research agenda mm. or I kind of within the parameters that are there can, can, can cu- curate this module and, and these assessments and, um, can manage students and, 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 and their learning in that way incredibly rewarding it's 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 of course it's taxing um but particularly this year where we've all been on campus without masks for the first time a couple of restaurants had opened up and all of a sudden you have that communal feel and spontaneity finally back where it should be um i think all of that and and that energy and and finally recognizing after maybe years of not being able to see it, that okay, I, I'm I'm able to facilitate. So that was a learning for me. Like, mm-hmm. and, and people had said it to me before. Oh, you're good at that thing, and mm. um, I kind of wrote that off a bit. But I'm like, no, okay, I I I, I can facilitate. So so let's kind of double down on that and um, double down on one's strengths and try and learn or get better at the things that 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 you're afraid of. I think that all kind of post-pandemic hits us mm-hmm. in a in a fresher way. So, so le- learning all of that mm-hmm. uh, is probably the highlight, and, and the, the feedback of uh, of energy, I guess, from from students yeah. is, is fantastic. Yeah. It's really it's yeah. the name of the game. Yeah, yeah, I love the fact of sort of someone reflecting back to you what your strength is, where you go, oh, really? Oh, yeah, actually. And and what what are you afraid of? I suppose the usual things. Uh, I know we, we you touched on it. We, we might talk about it later. All things imposter. Mm. Um, so that you know, uh, like the it'll all be over soon. The, you know, you'll be found out soon. Mm. Or uh, and it's funny as we describe it because it, it sounds so silly, but then how it actually can feel on a on a bad Tuesday morning or uh, when you're like, oh God, I actually, I don't know how to respond to those reviewers or I'm not sure what the next appropriate grant for me at this career stage is or, you know, and, and that usual cascade of of anxieties. Um, mm. And on, on, I suppose on the worst day, it's kind of like, and it's probably true of any area of life, it's always the next thing, you know, does it, you, right. you know, and such is the cycle of, of, um, of imposterism, you'll, you'll achieve that thing that you thought you'd never achieve. And wouldn't it be great if I finally got that position? Then I'd be happy. And you get it. 
and then almost like lightning it's the next thing that that the the anxious gaze shifts mm. towards so yeah. i find that uh annoying cuz i on paper understand it yeah but it, there it is waiting for me every kind of next yeah. turn you know that's interesting and there is a lot of research in, from psychology and i'm thinking of positive psychology in particular that talks about the importance of actually just taking those moments to stop and just savor what you have achieved before you shift on to that, oh, yeah, but what about? Yeah. And even though you can know it intellectually, actually, as you said, you know, I, I'm speaking from experience as well, yeah, like, yeah, you, in the moment you do just jump straight to the yes, but, you know, because that hard thing now seems easy because you achieved mm. it and you mm. downplay it a bit. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a fascinating thing to observe, and even going back to that point about recognizing that I I, I can facilitate or, or, or that I actually don't mind the the speaking element or the mm. engagement piece, and when, when continually writing that off in the past, uh, it, it, it was missing the key point of it. So, for example a lot of the energy and the traction that has uh, come with the cost action, which is essentially a researching networking grant um, for, for, for research on mental health, has come from when we're doing talks like about the psychology of imposter phenomenon, like the unavoidable uh, pitfalls of academia and the good things, and just simply, not nothing solution focused, but simply mm. doing the thing where, like, I can I can recount several times this summer when we're simply simply having a um, an interactive session on the themes that we're discussing right now, and the kind of the nodding of heads as if they haven't been able to nod before <laughs> about the. And the, the kind of, the, the gratitude as if like, thank you, someone is saying this and isn't it great that here we are in this environment and this, the publisher perish, the imposter sin, all these things being, being put out there and mm. sitting with it, as you've said, uh, in a way that is, is facilitated in, in a way that's kind of like trying to do something about it without, without putting it back to the individual you should be mm. doing or could be doing. Yeah. Or, um, the value in in that has has been a real learning exercise. So, is that the value in just sharing together? Like, where's that value coming from? Is it the sharing together, or is it recognizing that it plays out at multiple levels, or like what? Yeah, well, initially I would have said that, but then it almost and it wasn't des- designed to be, and nor should it be, but it almost felt therapeutic. Mm-hmm. For attendees, so I, I'm I'm referring to either conferences or um, so we had the um, ESOF uh, session in Leiden. We had kind of higher education conferences. We had policy conferences. Um, all of these things that uh, we couldn't do during the lifetime of the cost action so far, and uh, took place in in recent months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's 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 telling the story. Um, that empathizes with particularly the early career researchers, though not exclusively. Um, telling that story, giving some of the evidence in as, insofar as we know it on these issues and talking about 
pathways for change. But the main point being throwing it back to them. So little breakout groups, how does that land? You know, how does it make you guys feel or, or what would you like to talk about when you, when you see studies that say potentially one in three PhD candidates are at risk of a clinically significant mental health issue? Um, that's significant. That... That's a significant figure as well. If yeah. it's a significant mental health, because it doesn't say anything about the other two and the mental health issues that they're dealing with in the day to day that may not get to the significant label. Absolutely, absolutely, and kind of, I suppose the the, the reassurance that people get when when hearing, um, uh, and particularly with imposter feelings. It's incredibly powerful when somebody beside you at a different career stage or, a di- or in a different discipline spews the same type of imposter stuff that almost mm. your gut reaction is to laugh at, <laughs> you know, but it, it's, it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe that you're almost annoyed. You're like, okay, so it's not, it's not just me. So you can t- tell someone that, but facilitating a space where that organically happens mm-hmm. uh, is the thing yeah. we really need to harness harness that I've largely kind of fallen into that area of of um, I suppose it's advocacy in a way mm-hmm. um, and then it's, it's just kind of as I said taking the energy of 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 um, of, of, of the various fields that you know researcher mental health and, and academic mental academic mental health is touching a nerve with a lot of people Mm. um so going with that is has been a really fascinating journey Mm. and we come to the end of part one we'll continue with that journey in part two of this conversation where we focus much more on the remo cost action and dara spent some time actually defining imposterism and talks through its various impacts. And then he spends a lot of time talking about some very practical strategies that we can apply and and explores it at the levels of the individual, the collective, and organizations, organizational level. And there's also much to reflect on here in part one. I loved how he came to realize he had a real strength in facilitation, and you could hear the energy in his voice when he talked about this. And there are two things I'd like to draw out here. One is that we often take our own strengths for granted just because they're things that we do. And the other thing is the power of having other people reflect back to us what they see as our strengths in the way that was done for Dara. And this power of speaking out and connecting was also evident when Dara started to talk about people nodding with recognition when he talked about imposterism. So we, we can be sure that you and I are not alone in being um, feeling like we're imposters. And we'll pick up on this and much more in part two. In the meantime, in the show notes, I'll also put in some links to two related work podcasts that I've done that sort of connects to some of these themes. And one is a related work podcast on strengths and how do we recognize and use our own strengths and another one is just on taking the time to praise ourselves 
can find the summary notes, a transcript and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And I'm really hoping that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. And you can contribute to this by rating the podcast and also giving feedback. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues. Together, we can make change happen. Thank you.